today's episode of Sports and the World Football Edition, I talk about my top college football teams 20 through 16, OBJ versus the Giants, my LFL report, and the NFL teams 28 through 25. That's today on Sports and the World Football Edition. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you're listening to us, however you're listening to us, whether it's through Anchor, Apple, or Google Podcast, thanks for making Sports and the World Football Edition a part of your day. I hope you had a great Monday so far and an even better Tuesday, and I thank you for taking time to tune in whenever you're listening to us. And with that being said, let's dive right on in to my top 25 college football teams picking up from 20 to 16. Now, on last episode, there seemed to be a theme of SEC teams. And I noticed on this list, you're going to notice a theme of one conference standing out. And more importantly, you're wondering why I played the Run DMC song previously to this, because it's a theme to one of the teams that's on this list. See if you can pick up the theme, and I'll tell you on the back end. So with that being said, number 20 I have is Wisconsin. And I have Wisconsin right now 7-4 or 8-3. And their 50-50 game to me is when they go to Nebraska. But let me tell you what I like about Wisconsin. Listen, their run game is tough. They brought back Jonathan Taylor, who's a potential Heisman candidate, and that'll be a future list. You know, he has 2,194 yards rushing last season. Wisconsin has been known historically as a running football team with Ron Day. So, it doesn't surprise me that the run game is great there. And there seems to be a defensive reboot there. They got a young secondary. But, you know, they got the linebacker T.J. Edwards, Andrew Van Ginkle, and Ryan Connolly. So, they're kind of rebuilding defensively. And so, in the Big Ten, defensively, that really matters. Like I say, every conference is strong in one specific unit. I think the Big Ten, I look at the defense, and I think... They're young and they're rebooting there. But once again, it seems to be a common theme that with Big Ten teams is that it's quarterback point, especially in Wisconsin. Listen, you know, Jack Cohn, you know, last season, you know, in minimal play, replacing an injured Alex Warnerbrook, he had 515 yards, five touchdowns. Or they could go with a true freshman, freshman Graham Mertz, and and I assume that Paul Christ, smart guy offensively, he's going to go with the safer pick, he's going to go with Jack Cole. Wisconsin, like I mentioned, have a great running game, so they don't need a guy to throw 300 yards, they need a guy to be accurate and make the plays when necessary, it sounds like a formula for an SEC type team, where you just have a great defense and your quarterback doesn't screw it up, so... But their receiving is good, though. You know, they get their top receiver, Danny Davis, at 418 yards. Their receiving is good. It's not bad. It's just that when you have Jonathan Taylor in the backfield, you know, it kind of, you know, minimalizes the passing game, especially in Wisconsin, where you don't think that throwing the ball is a priority there. But I think the most important thing for Wisconsin is that they got to win two to three games against either versus Michigan, at Ohio State, or at Nebraska. I have them 7-4, 8-3. And I have them, you know, I have them, I have them losing to both Michigan and Ohio State and Nebraska. And I say 8-3 because they got to win one of those games. They got to. If they want to, to have some kind of conversation in the Big Ten West conversation. But I look at their schedule. Listen, they got to go at Ohio State and at Nebraska. So my takeaway is that Wisconsin could be a very legitimate force, but they got to win two of those three games. Next, we have at 19, Syracuse at the ACC. And their 50-50 game is a game that you wouldn't think, but it's Florida State, and I'll explain that reason as I progress down. 
You know, listen, offensively, they're loaded. Moneal, Sean Riley, Nikeem Johnson, Tristan Jackson. You know, I just gave you the running back and their three great receivers. And but I just looked at this offense and I go, the ACC, I'm not saying, you know, they're stepping up offensively, but listen, they have talent offensively in Syracuse. And, if, you know, if, you know, you take them more seriously. And plus, you know, Tommy DeVito, who's a sophomore replacing Eric Dungeons, whose numbers you can't really replace. You know, he went 50.6 completion percentage in the seven games he did play last season. And it could be a very big year for him because, listen, he's got those three great receivers. And the ACC, we don't think of quarterback play as essential, but in a conference where you have a couple of good quarterbacks, DeVito could probably walk away being the second best quarterback in the entire ACC. And I don't think that's hyperbole. I think it can legitimately happen. And defensively, I just think they're very stout. They got defensive ends Allen Robinson, Kendall Coleman. They have combined 20 sacks. You know, even though the secondary four starters, but the linebacking unit rebuilding. But for the most part, defensively, they're pretty good too. And it leads me into head coach Dino Baber. Listen, he's 15, he's 18 and 19. But this is the first time this team's been ranked since 01. And this is probably the best offense Syracuse has had in 20 years. When they had Marvin Harrison and Donovan McNabb. And I don't think that's hyperbole. I think it's a very legitimate thing. Dino Babers is turning around this program offensively. Because the problem now with coaches is that you got to figure out to turn it around on one side of the ball or the other. Because you can't just go... Instantaneously, you can't do it. It's just—it's not feasible. Dino Bay is an offensive guy. He proved it, and I think it's going the right direction. Speaking of direction, I put the Florida State in the 50 game because of this. They've never won in Tallahassee. They're 0-5 in Tallahassee, and they're 2-10 versus Florida State. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and say that. Even though I'm a Florida Gators guy, I admit that. I'm not going to ignore the fact that, listen, some teams got your number. And for Syracuse, Florida State has had the number the last decade. And especially at home. And and I think if Syracuse can somehow win that game, they're a 10-2, 9-3 football team. I really do, because if they can win that game, I can argue that, hey, they could probably looking at it maybe could go 11 and 1 if they can get past Florida State and I just need to see it to believe it number 18 I have is Iowa Iowa in the Big Ten and their 50-50 game is at Iowa State and I'll get one thing I'll get to that listen they got senior leadership at quarterback they got Nate Stanley they had 2,052 yards, 26 touchdowns last season. Their offensive line is very experienced. Their only, the only freshman is the center. They got four redshirt juniors or seniors on that offensive line. And a large Jackson, the tackle, could be an All-American. Defensive line, A.J. Espina. Ten and a half sacks, 16 and a half tackles for loss last season. So, Iowa is great in the trenches. And I guess it's the point to take away. They're very good in the trenches. But they have to replace, you know, the defensive line and their linebacker. You know, listen, Amani Hooker, you know, 65 tackles, four interceptions. You know, four and a half sacks. You got to replace that. Excuse me, four sacks. You got to replace that. And, and he could be replaceable, but, you know, sometimes we miss out on playmakers in big moments when we have youth in those positions. And quite frankly, my only thing with Iowa is the run game. Makai Sargent and Torin Young, they just combined for 1,382 yards. That's combined. I'm not saying that's terrible, but my point is, is that at some juncture, 
I do believe that you have to prioritize the run game because you know Nick Stanley may not be on, and you're gonna run across some teams like um, you're gonna be at Michigan and you're gonna be at Wisconsin, whose defenses are very good. You know, especially you could argue secondary. But at some point, when you're on the road, you need to have a run game to kind of silence the crowd. So I'll be curious to see how that develops throughout the season. And in the Big Ten theme, number 17 is Michigan State. With Michigan State, I think they have the best defense in the Big Ten. I really do. You know, eight starters. They were first in points per game allowed, 17.2. They only allowed 77.9 yards rushing a game. Mike D'Antonio, Mike D'Antonio brings a great defense every year at Michigan State. Even we can question a lot of things with Michigan State, but defensively we know they're going to be good or great. They're not going to be bad. Like last year was a down year, admittedly, but it wasn't because of that defense. Which leads me to why they had a down year. That offense just needs production. You know, Brian Lewerke, when healthy, in health, he could be a very good quarterback. Last season, this was the second to last team in offense in the Big Ten with averaging almost 19 points a game. When you're facing, like I say, the top half of the of the Big Ten, you can't, you gotta produce points. They got to win close games. Is it four of those six losses last season by ten points or less? So they were in. Oh, they were in a lot of games. You can argue every game, but the wheels fell off. You know, the beginning or the end. And in this case, it was the end. In a lot of cases. And then simply put, you gotta beat. You gotta beat Michigan or Ohio State. That's a common theme in the Big Ten. You gotta beat one of them. And under Mike D'Antoni, since he took over the job in 07, he's 2-3 versus Ohio State, but he's 4-1 against Michigan. If you can remember Michigan in the down year, that he took advantage of. And I think if if they can do that, because they're gonna be the thing is they're at Ohio State and at Michigan, and they're two and three versus Ohio State and four and one on the road against these teams. So, I'd say that they have a good shot of beating Michigan. And simply put, I just penciled them in nine wins because of their schedule. Tulsa, Western Michigan, Arizona State, Northwestern, Indiana, Illinois, Rutgers, Maryland, and I think they can beat Wisconsin. That's nine wins. And I penciled them in for it. But they could go 10 and 2 if they can beat, I believe, Ohio State. Because I just don't think they can beat Michigan. I think, and we're going to talk about Michigan probably in a couple of episodes. I think they have a better shot of beating Ohio State because of the turnover. You know, Ryan Day in his first full season at Ohio State. So, you have a better shot there. And the last team, number 16 on this list for this episode, is once again in the Big Ten, Nebraska. Now, you're wondering why four of my five teams are from the Big Ten. It speaks to, A, the schedule of the Big Ten, and also, B, it speaks to, they're very strong, either, for the most part, defensively, but for the case of Nebraska, of Nebraska here, it's offensively. Because, listen, I think last season for Nebraska was an aberration. Listen, Adrian Martinez, he threw the ball 65% completion. He had 17 to touchdowns to 8 interceptions. So, the offense wasn't the problem. And then also, Wandale Robinson, he's a true freshman, he's an all-purpose threat. He's a Percy Harvin type guy. He can change the dynamic of the game. And I think that's what they need. The defense needs to definitely improve. Listen, they allowed... Listen, they allowed 5.8 yards a play and 31 points a game. That's second to last in the Big Ten. I believe last was Rutgers. This is what I say about 
Scott Frost, was it? The year before he took over at UCF, UCF was 66 in points per game at 28.8 points a game. You fast forward to year two, they were first at 48 points a game. And he was 6 and 7 in his first year at UCF. So when they have a losing record in his first, Scott Frost, the offense is going to be better and they're going to be a top 10 in offense. I believe in that. And lastly, they got to beat Iowa, beat Michigan. And quite frankly, I have been beating, I have been beating Wisconsin. If they can beat Iowa, if they can beat Iowa, listen, this could be the best team in the Big Ten, not named Ohio State or Michigan. If they can beat Iowa and Wisconsin. Listen, when you play South Alabama, Colorado, Northern Illinois, then you play Illinois, Northwestern, Minnesota, Indiana, Purdue, Maryland, and then the aforementioned Wisconsin, there's shots to win. And I think that is definitely, in my opinion, the case. So, that's my top 20 through 16 college football teams. On the next episode, we're going to definitely get into the nitty-gritty, I guess, when I go to teams 15 through 10. And until then, and until we get to that point, we're going to be right back. I'm going to talk about OBJ and the New York Football Giants. That's next year on Sports in the World Football Edition. Welcome back into Sports and the World Football Edition. And if you're listening to us through Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, or Radio Public, I truly do appreciate it as well. And now let's get into the OBJ and the New York Giants. And as you know, he was traded to Cleveland with Olivier Vernon for Jabril Peppers, Kevin Zeitner, a first-round pick, which turned into Dexter Lawrence, defensive end, and the third-round pick, Edge, O'Shane, and Zimines, you know, in March. And he just signed a contract last year, five years, $95 million extension. So, you're wondering, well, what went wrong? Or, why trade your biggest asset? So, in a GQ interview, Beckham... He reiterated his reaction to getting traded from New York to Cleveland. And he tweeted about it in the spring that he felt disrespected that the team didn't keep him in the loop throughout the process. So this is what OBJ said. He said, quote, my initial reaction was not disappointment. I felt disrespected. What he said of the trade. Like after everything I've done for them, this is me being honest. This team has not been good for the last six years, period. Even the year we went to the playoffs and everyone was talking about this and that, and we went there and I didn't have a great playoff game. Don't get me wrong. I had a terrible game, but I left the game with seven targets and I'm supposed to be your number one receiver. I left the game with seven targets. We lost. They scored 40 points. It's just all bad. I felt disrespected because I felt I was the main reason at keeping that brand alive. They were getting still as a 5-11 team. Why? Because people want to see the show. You want to see me play. That's just real rap. I'm not just sitting here like it's because of me. But let's just be real. That's why we're still getting primetime games. I felt disrespected they weren't even man enough to even sit me down to my face and tell me what's going on. So I'm going to tell you that part of it. And I'll get to the back end of what he said in the interview. I want to talk about what he said about <clears throat> the brand. Because I think he just kind of contradicted himself. You know, he kept the brand alive. Is there some truth to what he said? Maybe. But everyone remembers the one-hand catch he made in prime time against the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday night. People remember that catch. And we all know, like I said, we all know he's a great receiver. We know that. The numbers say it. And on field, we know it. But to say that he kept the brand alive, 
it's being disingenuous because it's New York. It's the Giants. And now, if he was playing for, say, and there's no disrespect, Jacksonville Jaguars, did he say that? I'd be like, okay, I get it. But you're playing in New York. These are the Giants. That's just like the equivalent of saying that Derek Jeter, even when the Yankees weren't great, great, was the reason people were watching. was because of him. And like, no, they're watching because it's the Yankees. And that's something that has to be understood in that regard. It's just that I understand the, you know, I get it. I get it when he says that he felt disrespected. But where I feel that when he says he was disrespected, I don't necessarily think that he was disrespected by everybody in that organization. And that's what he talks about. He said that he made it clear that he places the blame of the frustration on Dave Gettleman. He said the GM responded, and he responded when asked who they meant. And I'll ever, and I'll forever have respect for the Giants' present CEO, Mr. Mayor. Everything he's ever done for me, he's shown nothing but love. Even we're having our talks, it was coming from a place of love. I could feel it. So it's not everybody in the organization. It was Dave Gettleman, and everybody. Said that oh well he wasn't disrespected by the Giants no he was by Dave Gettleman who works in the organization he was very specific about it and you know OBJ has a, you know a right to feel disrespect because this is what OBJ has done when he's with the Giants he's second among career and active receivers with receiving yards per game he's a three-time Pro Bowler he accounted for 264 points. 29 receptions, he averages 78 a year, and he led the Giants in receptions four years, 2014, 15, 16, and 18, and that's according to Pro Football Reference. So I can understand why he felt disrespected by Dave Gellman because before Dave Gellman got there, OBJ was putting up numbers. He was, you could argue that him and Eli were the faces of that franchise. Eli is the long-standing face of the franchise. But Odell Beckham quickly ascended to be a face of that franchise. And, and Eli Manning said in response to OBJ in his comments, he said, I don't think they bothered me. You just kind of shake your head and laugh. We won a few games before he was here, per NFL Network and New York Daily News. And he's right. They won two Super Bowls before Odell, Odell Beckham got there. And I felt that to say that you're the reason why they were getting games is, is like I reiterated. It's the brand that got them games at 5 and 11. Like, I tell people, think of the time when when the Patriots, the Patriots weren't getting primetime games until what? They started winning because historically that franchise was not winning. So it was Tom. You could, I could argue if Tom Brady were to say something like that, I could go, that's a great point. But when OBJ says I can't agree, it's because I feel that the Giants brand is bigger than the Patriots brand. Historically. Not just in the last 20 years. Historically. Because it's New York. And Eli Manning was right. He just laughed it off and, you know, he shook his head. And that's what you gotta kind of do with OBJ. You gotta kind of laugh and shake it off. And it kind of reminded me of another receiver who felt disrespected, and that was Terrell Owens. You know, he skipped his Hall of Fame and Shryman in Canton. He got a speech at UT Chattanooga. And this is what the NFL Hall of Fame CEO, David Baker, said in 2018, the NFL Network. He said, quote, his rationale was that he felt disrespected because he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. That's really what this is about. And, and look, once again with OBJ, you got to really decipher what T.O. I think, to see, you know, David Baker was right. I do believe that's how he felt. T.O. should have been a first bell Hall of Famer. If you look at the numbers, when you're second to Jerry Rice, arguably the greatest receiver to ever play the position. He's the greatest receiver ever. Best to play the position. And he had better numbers than Randy Moss. I don't have to read you up the numbers. You can... 
check it out at profootballreference.com. And you can look at the numbers. And I could go on and on and say Teal's a Hall of Famer on the field. Was he a Hall of Fame person? Maybe not. But it's not your job to vote on people based on personality. Because if we're going to use that rhetoric, then Ty Cobb was a racist, but he's still in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Okay, so 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 if character was really involved in it, then I can argue some people in the Hall of Fame wouldn't be in. You're arguing the numbers. It's the numbers. Some people got in, maybe because the numbers weren't great, but they were just great people. And I'm not going to call out specific ones, but you can compare and contrast numbers. So, T.O. had a right to feel disrespected, but he disrespected the Hall of Fame in the same way T.O. disrespected the Giants by saying he was the reason that they showed up to the game, speaking to fans in the primetime games. Because Odell is right. Like I said, I'll reiterate one more time. He was right when he said he was disrespected by Dave Gettleman. But then you don't turn around and disrespect the Giant organization. That's in a way you're disrespecting the same man you say you respected in and John Barron. That's the same. You're, 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 it's a disrespect to him. If, you, if you're beefing with Dave Gettleman, I get it. But that's who your beef is with, not with everybody in the organization. When you say that you're the reason why, you're disrespecting that same man you said you respected in that interview. And with T.O., T.O., listen, the Hall of Fame, if you feel disrespected, I get it, but this, you're in the Hall of Fame. Michael Irvin could have this same argument. But it was off-the-field stuff that caused him, I think, maybe two, three years of not getting in the Hall of Fame. Same reason. Numbers were there, like, okay, that guy's a Hall of Famer. But yet, he wasn't in because of the -the off-the-field stuff. So, what I'll say to put a button on this is that when it comes to respect, you have to earn it and then also give it. And if Odell would have said that, you know, I respect Eli Manning and the Mara family for what they've done, and when we, you know, I get that. But he didn't want to mention he respected Eli Manning. He didn't want to mention that he respected, he said he respected Mara, but then you turn around and say that the team that he owns, his family is own, you say that you're the reason why they got those games. They won two Super Bowls before you went into New York. Yeah, people want to come and see you play, but you're not the sole reason. And as for T.O., listen, I've always said T.O., great football player, maybe not the greatest person. But I can look at the numbers and have discretion and say, that guy's a Hall of Famer. And anybody can dispute me. No. It doesn't matter if he was a douche as a person. Listen, there are people who we work with daily who, who are not great people, but you don't argue with their work ethic. That's not your job. Do you get the job done? Yes. Whether you're a good or great person, doesn't matter. Go ask Kobe and Shaq. They didn't like each other, but they got the job done when they were together. So, speaking of getting the job done, I got the job done with this segment, and then we're going to dive into my elevator report. That's next year on Sports and the World. Football Edition. Welcome back into Sports and the World Football Edition. And also, there's a new Facebook page for the podcast. It's Sports and the World. We can go there, be posting content on there, football content, sports content, and content in general. And you can also listen to the episodes. You go to the About tab on the page. You click the link. And you can listen to not only this episode, but other episodes of the podcast as well. So with that, I want to dive into the LFL. And I saw the game on YouTube over the weekend, the Knights and the Bliss. And, you know, I predicted the Knights were going to win. I, For the record, I had no idea why the Bliss were favored. I had zero idea. And to me, I was like, listen, I'm not a Vegas guy, but I said, boy, I, like, you got to take the Knights. Even if it was a game like this, I just felt that the Knights needed it. And and what we've seen for the theme of this season is that teams who need to win on the road win on the road. And that's exactly what they did. You know, they won 8-6. to six. 
And and it's no disrespect to any of the ladies when I say that that it probably wasn't the it was probably the worst game of this season. Not because of the score, but there was once again, and I'll get to the reasons why. They were combined 0 and 6 on fourth down conversions. Both both teams were 0 for 3. They were combined 0 for 12 in red zone scores and chances. Both 0 for 6. And a lot of missed opportunities. A lot of missed opportunities. And that let me know that the defense was very good because, listen, there was two interceptions by each defense. And and I think and what got me is, is that the Bliss had opportunities to win this game while the Knights had opportunities to lose it. And, and my question for this game is that will Sid Lewis be back? Listen, if if you base it on how this defense played, when you have, you know, you have talent on that defense, and I, t- and I tell people that, I'm like, when you look at this roster, you know, you got JaVale Thompson, even Chaz Dusan, maybe not at quarterback, maybe her mobility, she could run the football, you got Emma Vander Hayden, you know, there's talent on this Bliss roster. And I, you know, and I stress that a lot. I said, there's talent on this roster. You know, because listen, I argue that, I'll just be quick. Listen, they could easily be 2-2 two and two if they would have found a way to pull that game off in Atlanta. And I stress that. And people are like, oh, no, this team is, is very good. Very good. It's just that, you know, listen, they lost a lot of close games. And, you know, will Sid Lewis be back? Listen, he admitted in the interview, this is a new coaching staff and a franchise quarterback. But what I saw the post-game was what concerned me. And I understand the heat of, of you know, of losing in arguments. You throw, you know, Bobby Knight threw a chair across a, a court, for goodness sake. But to sit there and go into the face of your quarterback, listen, you know, you don't spike the ball with four minutes left in the game, sure. But you don't pull her out for a quarterback that was cold while you're in the red zone either. There was coach listen, there were mistakes all around. Both the coaching staff and the quarterback play. So for him to get upset about that, I thought it was very interesting. And if 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 I were the Bliss organization, listen. Either go find a quarterback or go find a new head coach. Because you got to, you know, you got to start from scratch. Because, you know, I'll use the Arizona Cardinals as an example. You fire Steve Wilkes, a defensive guy, the one season. Why? Because the quarterback play was terrible. Because he didn't have a quarterback in the first place. So what did they do? They fired Steve Wilkes and gave him Cliff Kingsbury. And they went and got a quarterback. And that's the way of the league, whether it's the LFL or the NFL. So I'll be curious to see that throughout their offseason. And that was week 13. In week 14, you can catch Mariah Lopez and the LA Temptation as they try to hold on to the playoff spot against Misty Gonzalez and the Austin Acoustic. And you can watch that game Saturday, August 3rd at 8 p.m. on the LFL YouTube channel. But I want to talk about week 15. This is why I say the nitty-gritty stuff. Because remember, this is another game that I said was going to be important back-to-back weeks. This game is hard for me to pick. The Omaha Heart at Atlanta Steam, which you can see 7 p.m. at Infinite Energy Arena. You know, there's a lot of keys to this game. You know, it's Nicole Holtz versus that Omaha defensive line. Look, she's the fourth leading rusher in the league, 121 yards. Omaha defense is second in rush yards allowed about 55 yards so that's a great matchup there and I think Lauren Crouch versus that steam secondary more specifically now that a good Lauren Ziegler is back there I'm not saying because she's a friend she's she is a Hall of Fame player and it showed it showed in that bliss game that they could have lost it because she wasn't in there her impact was missed 
And then Omaha, listen, they average about 69 yards passing per game. While you look at the steam defense, you know, the last 60, you know, 69 yards a game. So, passing, I should say. So, I'll be curious to see who gets the better of that matchup. And simply put, will the Cardiac Kid win it again? Because she won that game. Dakota Hughes won that game against the Blitz, fighting Jolia Fezikoff. You know, for all, you know, Dakota Hughes, it reminds me a lot of Matt Ryan. Where we know they're talented, we know they're great, but they don't have a championship to define it. In a league defined by championships in any sport, especially football, and at the quarterback position. And, you know, will she win this game again if they can't run the ball? And the thing is, can the heart run this football? Listen, Mate Vinson, absolute beast. And that steam defensive line will be tested. And they were tested last week, I guess they owned at that time, an Owen 2 Bliss team. And they, Javel Thompson found holes. Can Mate Vinson do the same? You know, as for my prediction, I expect this to be very close because this is for the this is for a playoff spot. This is it, and I do believe in my heart. My mind is saying you go with the heart, but my gut, my gut's telling me go with the steam. And if you know how I look, I always go with my gut. I think the steam's gonna win, thirty-one to twenty-seven. I just believe that it's at home. And they can feed off that home crowd. They got Lauren Ziegler back. This game is important. And I think they can pull it out and win. So that's 31-27. Steam over heart. And last week, I talked about the strengths of the remaining playoff contenders. And now I'm going to give you the weaknesses. I want to thank LFO.com for providing this great information, the, the, the statistics. You know, with the Austin Acuna, the weaknesses, I, it's very hard to find one. Maybe more sacks. Maybe, you know, and that's just being, that's, I mean, it's being playful. But, listen, that defensive line is, they probably have the best O-line defensive line in the LFL. And that goes to coaching. And, if, you know, it's very it was very hard to find one. For the Seattle men, Jade Randall's health. That's the weakness. That's what hurt them in losing to the Cougars. She wasn't healthy. And that's not a knock. It showed that you got to have everybody at full strength. And, and I think that's what really hurt them. And the secondary, once again, too many passing yards. Too, Michelle Angel was looking like Kenny Stabler out there. Just slinging it. LA Temptation, I think injuries, and you know, I say coaching. I'm not going to let a few good coaching games by Roy Derry convince me that, okay, there's a lot of stuff that has to be fixed, and they've exceeded expectations there. The Atlanta team, consistent play. Listen, too many close games for me, and listen, I know, listen, I love Ziggy, and I, you know, I, you know, I love Lauren Ziggler, I love Dakota Hughes, but, you know, Dina Wojcicki, I love her too. But she's kind of like Rasheed Wallace, where Rasheed can win you some games, but he can also lose you some games because of his temper. And, and they can construe his passion. Their defense, just more consistent play. Feel my heart, you know, the pass rush besides Lindsey Burr. She leads the LFL in sacks. And she could be up for the defensive player of the year award. But we're not talking about that. You could argue with the Dowdy sisters and Emma Vanderhaden, when we talked about earlier, even for rookie of the year for Emma Vanderhaden. Emma Vanderhaden. And lastly, Nashville Knights, they need a run game. If that 8 to 6 game didn't show you anything, Molly Richardson needs backup. She needs help to, you know, every great quarterback needs somewhat of a resemblance of a running game. And hopefully she gets that. And hopefully you'll be back with me for the final segment. Where I count down my top NFL teams, 28 through 25, and that's next here on Sports and the World. Football Edition.
and welcome back into the final segment here of sports and the world and if you listen with us so far i truly do appreciate it and to give you the clue as to why i played the run dmc song it's tricky for those listening on anchor it's because of syracuse you know run dmc is from new york and syracuse so i thought a little fun with the music and everything else kind of falls into theme i think as well and to give out the social i'm both at twitter and instagram at sports the world new facebook page of sports in the world so many ways to contact you and then also you can hit the message link when you go to the sports in the world facebook page you click the about tab you click it and there's a link to send me a message give me your thoughts and your opinions on the show and any questions that you may have for me and i'll make a point to play on the show without further ado the main event segment the nfl teams ranked 28 to 25 and last week it was very hard for me to to decide whether to put two of these teams on the on the last list but you know but it became easier you know because there's a key factors and i'll explain to as to why so without further ado, my number 28 team is the Oakland Raiders. And of course, we do the five word game. My five words is one year closer to Vegas. Look, right now, they're just trying to play and they're rebuilding to get to Vegas, simply put. But what I do like about the Oakland Raiders is Derek Carr. He was 12th in passing yards. He had more than Drew Brees last season. And Drew Brees is a, he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. You get more than. So once again, the offense of the Oakland Raiders is not the issue. And they added defense in free agency. They got the free safety LaMarcus Joyner, linebacker Vontaze Perfect, and corner Nevin Lawson. You know, they added some pieces to this defense that was very bad. And they got O-line help by getting Trenton Brown and Jonathan Cooper. So they got better through free agency. But here's the weaknesses that I think are there. I think John Gruden. And I, I've been hard on John Gruden. Not because I don't think he's a great. He's a good coach. But since 2002, when he last won the Super Bowl, he's 49-63, and 63, if you include last season. And he got a job. He got 10 years. He's in the second year of a 10-year contract. And one of the things that I say, which leads me to why I think, you know, the reason why he's that record is questionable draft picks. You know, you got Josh Jacobs, the running back from Alabama. You got you got the safety Jonathan Abram at 27, the two picks you got were trading Amari Cooper and Khalil Mack. But you didn't need a running back because you the backfield is is pretty deep as it is. So you didn't necessarily need a running back. But also, you know, safety help, you didn't really need also. You did get Flynn and Fair, which you needed a defensive tackle, and people could argue that you could have got him later. And honestly, they're the weakest team in the AFC West. Not by much, as you'll find out soon. But I just look at them and I go outside of Derek Carr, you know, what else is there? And the reason why I didn't put Antonio Brown on this list because I don't quite know if he's a strength or a weakness. It, I don't know what kind of productivity I'm going to get for him this season. And number 27, I got the Washington Redskins. And my five words is, eh, could be worse in D.C. Listen, it could be a lot worse. So, I'm not talking about, you know, you, you guys can figure out. Take the joke as you will. But here's some of the things that I like. They had a great draft. They got Montez Sweat, and they got Dwayne Haskins, who I felt a certain team who was on the last list, the Giants, should have got. So, I don't take away from how the Washington has drafted them. And you know what? And you add Sweat to a defense that was 7th in sacks last season with Ruben Foster. You got Jonathan Allen, and you add Montez Sweat into that, and you got still got Ryan Kerrigan. So, that defense is great. And, you know, Jay Gruden... He just had the worst luck. He lost his quarterback. You know, he lost Alex Smith. And you're thinking, okay, this is where Washington turns it around. Then he gets hurt. 
Then he's done. Then you back to fill at the quarterback position. So that's why you get Haskins and you bring in Case Keenum. So I I know what people in DC are going to say, and it's going to lead to into the weaknesses. Why I think Jay Gruden, I think is the bigger strength. When you hear the weakness, listen, they have no weapons. They're 20th in receiving. Their leading receiver was a tight end, Jordan Reed. He had 558 yards. That was no receiver could get as many yards as Jordan Reed. That's a concern. And listen, Bruce Allen, the general manager, it might he took a couple years off, but he's been the president of this team, the general manager of this team, whatever title you want to give him. He's 42 and 70 with one plus appearance in his tenure. And he he's still there. Why is he still there? Because it's dysfunctional. Daniel Snyder, you know, listen, coach after coach. Listen, this is the same. This, this They hired Jim Zorn. Okay. And you look at it, you go, listen, they have Mike Shanahan, but look how he managed RG3. Historically, the, the Washington, is, they've been disclosed for the last 15 years. The coaching, you know, if outside of Jim Zorn, has not been necessarily bad. It's just been the front office cannot figure it out. Bruce Allen, like I said, when you're 42 and 70, he still has a job. Like, there's a reason. Like, there's opportunities where you could have been. They've won this division before, so it's not like the team is terrible. But I just think clashes between Jay Gruden and this organization may put Jay Gruden on the hot seat. It may just do so. And speaking of when I said the worst team in the AFC West with the Oakland Raiders, I said, well, here comes the second worst, number 26, the Denver Broncos. Simply put, five words, someone get Elway's jersey now. And look, I'll get to that. But I do like, I love Noah Faint, the tight end from Iowa. Very great skill set, very versatile. You know, from the Iowa guy, you think, I think like Dallas Clark, that type of dude where he can, he can be very, he can stretch the field, could be a great weapon for whoever the quarterback will be in Denver this season. And that defense is still a great defense. You got Vaughn Miller, Bradley Chubb, who they, you know, they drafted over dark, you know, you know, they chose defense. And they got corners Chris Harris and they signed Kareem Jackson. The defense is pretty good. And then you got Philip Lindsay in the backfield. He, had a, he was a thousand yard rusher at nine touchdowns. You know, a good, you know, when you don't have a great quarterback, a good run game helps. And that's what Denver has. And some of the weaknesses is just John Elway and quarterbacks. I'm thinking probably one of the top 10, you could argue top five quarterbacks of all time. Can't figure out the one position he's been great at. Listen, he, he drafted Brock Osweiler, Zach Dyser, Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch, Chad Keller. Now, mind you, Brock Osweiler, Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch started. They're not on. And Paxton Lynch was a first round pick. And said, like, oh, this is going to be the guy. And it's not getting. And then, listen, and then you bring in Case Keenum, Joe Flacco, and you have Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning got you Super Bowl because the defense got you that Super Bowl. But this is eerily similar to what I said about John Gruden is that you're. You, listen, I don't take away your football credentials, but when you drafted a position that you're well known for, you know, and you come up empty, that's a concern for me. Because at some point, is Joe Flacco really going to be your long-term starter? Because you drafted Drew Locke, and I truly do believe that Drew Locke may start this season. And, you know, the one last weakness is, listen, another defensive head coach. You got Vic Fangio. I like Vic Fangio. I'm not knocking Vic Fangio. But you just, you, you had, you, what gets me is you just fired a defensive head coach. And, and that's the one thing that really gets me is, is that, yeah, you fired, a, you fired a defensive head coach. 
And and then you go out and hire another one. And I guess that's what you know with John Elway. Because John Elway is doing the hiring. And it's not, and I'll put it this way. It's not like how can I describe it? I'm going to say, I don't want to ramble, but it's not like you didn't have offensive options. Like, listen, they had Josh McDaniels and it didn't work out. And I get that. But you had Vance Joseph and it didn't work out. Vance Joseph went 11 and 21. Kubiak, the guy before that, got you, you know, got you to a Super Bowl. John Fox, defensive guy, he got you to an AFC championship game. Those are the last three coaches. Two of the three were defensive outside of Kubiak. Hope they figure that out. And number 25, I got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. My five words will Jameis walk the plank. Because it's a make or break, and I'll get into Jameis. It's a make or break year for him. There's no way around that. This is what I like about, listen, the offense is still good. They got Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, a young receiver, and they got O.J. Howard. Listen, the offense is there. You know, and I like Bruce Arians. Listen, you hired an offensive guy who knows how to work with quarterbacks. He worked with Big Ben. He had work. He worked with Andrew Luck. He knows how to win with quarterbacks. So, great hire by Tampa. And they drafted Devin White from LSU, a great linebacker, replaced Quan Alexander. So, I'm no knocks there because listen, I like Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator. Great hire. Great hire. Smart guy defensively. For the Jets, who are a team that I'll talk about later, you know, in a future episode, listen, it wasn't because of Todd Bowles. It wasn't because of Todd Bowles. That defense was great. But speaking of the weaknesses, that defense was 27th last season in total defense. There's no Gerald McCoy there to kind of, you know, cornerstone. And the Dominican Sue, to me, I look at the Dominican Sue, I'm like, he, he should be more than what his numbers are. And I feel that is that's the guy you can use to replace Gerald McCoy with. And finally, like speaking of Jameis, what is Jameis is gonna show up? Is it the Jameis that I know can throw 300 yards in a game? It's gonna be the Jameis that goes give me three interceptions in clutch situation. Which Jameis is going to show up? And I think that's a key for Tampa. Which Jameis is going to absolutely show up? Speaking of showing up. I also want to thank the folks at NFL.com, Pro Football Reference, and Bleacher Report for the stats as well. And that's today's episode of Sports in the World Football Edition. I want to thank you for listening so very much. And I will see you next Football Tuesday. Be real, be you, and be blessed.